Turn to Acts chapter 8 this morning as we continue on in our understanding of what the early church was like. And how is our church like the early church? Should we even be trying to compare? Is it, is it what we should be striving for? I think there's such a value to this because we learn how God works. We see how God worked according to His economy in a group of people that had so much change thrust on them. How many of you just love change? It's like your favorite thing. And yet, the early church had so much change thrown on them. But because of the Spirit of God, they thrived. And so that's what I want us to see in this series over the next 10 years. I don't know if you've been catching, but we've been doing this for about seven months now, and we're in chapter 8. And if you've read Acts before, it gets up in the 40s, okay? So just be prepared. And we got Christmas and Easter and, you know, all those things to cover. So this morning, let me start by asking this question. Let me take you here. We're looking at the lessons from the early church, and how does that inform our church? How does that inform us in our personal living, but also our community living, right? Think of a season of life. in your mind, different seasons in your life. These temporary moments that required something specific of you. It was different. It was unique. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was challenging. Maybe it was both of those things. Maybe it was hard and it wasn't so good. But we all face seasons of life. There's an aspect of our Christian living that is eternal and, and this is our race as Paul describes it. Amen? This is our race, and we are running our race. Uh, Hebrews 12, let us run the race, mark before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, right? And let us run that unswervingly. Let us throw aside every sin that so easily entangles us. So we're running this race, and, and the moment that race is over, the finish line is when God calls us home, He returns, and then we're with Him. At that point, we can do nothing more in that race. The whole thing changes. And we're in glory with Him. So this is your race. How do you run it? How do you run it? And this race that God has given to us kind of requires different seasons of life. Now for some of you, you may be thinking what I thought when I started contemplating this idea. Different seasons. Uh, let's go back to college age, post-college. I dropped out of college. Yay, that was so much fun. And then I had 18 jobs in between the time that I started college and I got married. She put a stop to that. She said, let's get some security here, buddy. Let's go lock it down. No, she was very nice. She was very nice about the whole thing. But I had 18 different jobs. I lived in 18 different places. Some of the time it was in my car. And I remember laying in a Datsun 210 in my futon. I don't know how a futon and I fit in a Datsun 210. But I found this like dark alley and I parked my car there and I'm laying this close to the ceiling and I'm saying, why God? Right? It's a season. And there were some things I learned in that. And so thinking about and looking at, at what those different seasons do and what they provide, 
You know, sometimes you're going to be on the pinnacle of something, right? You're going to be at this pinnacle, but there's other times where you're going to be at a, at a valley, and it's a season. Do we have birds in here? There's baby turkeys. Talk about your season. It's hunting season. No, I didn't say that. I did not say that. Oh, my goodness. Rachel's like, I'll go get my gun right now. Okay. I had different seasons in my life. We're going to see the life of Philip today that's just phenomenal. This is such an anomaly. It's so crazy. But it helps tie in how God's economy works. And I don't think we, we look at it this way. I think we're programmed to the whole idea of let's run our race and we're going through church and we're doing all these things. And, and especially from a pastor's point of view, you're always trying to work towards this upper echelon of notoriety and seeing more people come to the Lord and, and building the kingdom. And, and it's, uh, this was life-changing studying this this week. So let's get into it. We're looking at God's economy, ultimately. The title of the message today is God's Phenomenally Determined Hand. Don't you love that word, phenomenally? You guys remember that little, uh, I think it was like something from the Soupy Sales show back in the 70s? You guys remember that? If you're over 40, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> this is me being a uh, you know, squirrel again, but... This, I love this word phenomenal, right? I use it way too much. My family goes nuts over it. And so they made a little song. Phenomenon. Ba, 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 da, ba. Phenomenon. God's phenomenally determined hand. Let's just move on, shall we? So I, uh, in looking at this, how do we describe God's economy? How many of you, when you hear God's economy, you're thinking finances? Okay, because that's kind of how we've contextualized economy today. But there's so much more to it. That the concept of economy is how all things work together for the purpose of, of that civilization. So for God's purpose, when we talk about his economy, we're talking about how he constructs, what is his will, what is his plan for all things to come together. What is that plan? And so what he asks you to do follows who he made you to be. When it comes to God's economy, and you as an individual, as a believer in Jesus Christ, remember this idea that what he asks you to do follows who he made you to be. So some of you he may call into a formalized version of ministry. Some of you he may have out in the workplace. Some of you he may have debating at DVC and winning your debate, right? Some of you he may have as accountants or lawyers. Or some of you he may have as the blessed church secretary. We need a lot of prayers for those church secretaries. What he asks you to do follows who he made you to be. And then we have this prolific passage out of Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You should write that down in your notes. Because when it comes to what we're looking at today out of the history of the early church, this is going to make a lot of sense. And hopefully you're going to be able to transmit what goes on with Philip into your own life, how it fits with God's economy, and how it truly fits with Philippians 2.13. Let's move on. God's economy, maybe another way to describe it, is grace is free, sin is expensive, and love is priceless. 
I love that. I like that. Write it down because it's gone now. So my question is this. You know, think about, I want you to think about a couple other characters because when I'm looking at Philip, when I'm thinking about Philip, I'm thinking, you know, his season was very unique. His season was very unique. And, and it made me start thinking and contemplating other people in the Bible. If you're under the age of 10 today, raise your hand if you know who Moses is. Do you know who Moses is? Awesome. If you're under the age of 10 in here today and you know who Jonah is, raise your hand. Yeah. So Jonah and Moses, what on earth do they have to do with Philip? Well, let's look. Now, this is an interesting idea. What do Moses, Jonah, and Philip all have in common? Well, a lot of people don't know this, but Moses, Jonah, and Philip walk into a bar, right? Bartender says, what do you have? Philip says, what? Drinks are on me. Do you have any living water? Whoever wrote that should stick to preaching and not writing jokes. But the point is pretty simple. Each of those individuals were called for a season of life to accomplish God's economy. Do you see that? Just like you are. Just like I am. For each person. Remember Philippians 2.13. For it is God who is working according to his will for your good purpose and his plan. And so Moses, Jonah, and Philip were all called out to do something very specific in a season of life. Interestingly enough, and we'll get to this in a minute, so was Jesus. This is going to be a little bit of a mind blower. This is going to be a little bit of a, of a revelation today because we constantly think that every day has to look as important as the one before or as important as the one to follow and yet there's some very interesting things in studying this life of Philip. The question of the day is this. What can God do with obedient, willing people? Well, look at what he did with Moses, who resisted. Look at what he did with Jonah, who resisted. Look at what he did with Philip, who probably initially resisted. And yet when God said, look, this is my plan, this is my economy, you will do God's phenomenally determined hand. You will do what I need you to do. You will do what I need you, right? Think about that question. Let's get into the, into the passage this morning. So we're going to start in verse 26. And it says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his, this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? 
for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, or Ashdod, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, here's this picture that, for many of us, it's a familiar, familiar story. And God works according to his phenomenally determined hand to provide for someone traveling along in a chariot in a desert place who's seeking him. And so what does God do? God uses his man. God uses his evangelist. And he uses him in a unique way. Let's look at that evangelist. So here's the thing I want you to remember about Philip. It says he rose and went. When God has asked us, or maybe he's hinted to us, right? Or maybe he's screaming at us, and we're just not listening. But people like Shelby, and people like those that are serving right now over in Children's, and people that were here getting the donuts, especially the people getting the donuts and coffee ready this morning, that God has spoken, and people have said, yes, I'll respond. He rose and went. And what happened? Because he was obedient and willing? Well, history says that the gospel went down to Ethiopia and it began to spread. We don't have a whole lot of information, but we know that that started to happen. Look at what happened because Philip rose and went. You know, Philip was chosen, it was God's plan. How do we know that? Well, it says specifically that an angel came and spoke to Philip. This is how much God wanted to see. God was determined that this Ethiopian's questions would be answered. Isn't that amazing? And so God sends an angel, just like he did with Mary, just like he did with Joseph, just like he did with Joseph from the Old Testament, and on and on and on. God sends a messenger that there can be no doubt as to what's going on. And so the angel says, you will pick up, you will leave, and you will go out into this area. And what happened? Philip did it. Philip was chosen. It also says later in the passage that the Spirit, then after uh, Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, that the Spirit does what? The Spirit carries him away to a new place. Immediately. Immediately. Well, but... What do we do about discipleship, pastor? That's, that's the thing that happens within modern evangelicalism, right? Is that, well, you know, yeah, you say that all these people came to the Lord at Harvest Crusade, but is there really any discipleship going on? I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not in charge. What can I say about that? Should discipleship happen? Absolutely, we see that. 
But we also know that we can trust God to do something, right? And we know that the one individual that was chosen by God for a season to go out and meet a person in the desert under God's economy to share the gospel, to share Jesus with this individual that was seeking God, that he gives a supernatural way to provide for him to be there, to speak, to baptize, and then supernaturally he takes him away to a completely different place. God's plan. We keep putting all these constructs and approaches and agendas. Pastors are really good at this. We have so many conferences that cost way too much that we go to so we can learn how to do this better and how to implement that and implement this. And, and I get exhausted by it, folks. But we should be pursuing those things. They're good things. Because they come up in other sermons when we're looking at other passages. But I want you to pay attention to the fact that under God's economy, under God's plan, there are seasons there are seasons. And sometimes we're inserted into something, we see something tremendous happen, but we don't get to see the fruition of it, do we? Or, or we don't get to see the completion of something, and we get frustrated and we say, God, why? God's got it under control. God's got it under control. What we do learn is that Philip was chosen. He was chosen in Jerusalem. He was chosen to go and speak to Samaria. He was chosen to go out and speak to someone in the desert that would then take the message of the gospel all the way to Ethiopia. We'll get to that in a minute. Philip was an evangelist. While Peter preached and there were great discourses, Philip really is our first evangelist that we see in Scripture. The guy that's going and, and kind of floating all over the place and sharing the gospel. And people are coming to the Lord being inserted into places that Jonah wouldn't have wanted to go, being inserted into places Moses wouldn't have wanted to go. And yet Philip was what? He was willing and he was obedient. Acts 21, 8-9, and, and we'll get to it a little bit later today, but the reality is this. Actually, I'm a little premature with that. Look at verse 40 here in chapter 8. It says, But Philip found himself at Azotus, or what's called Ashdod. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to a couple towns on his way to Caesarea. Right? That's what it says? It says all the towns. Philip had this burning passion. And here's something that's fantastic, folks, is once you get a taste of seeing God work through you, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. And remember where Philip has just been. He's been in Samaria, a place that historically is hostile to the Jewish nation. He shouldn't have had a chance in the world to be able to have any influence whatsoever in this region. And yet God gave him, because he was chosen, gave him an audience, and he was God's man for God's time in that season. And it's fresh in his mind. He is inspired. He is on fire because he has tasted of the goodness of God's plan and his phenomenally determined hand. Are you ready to experience or keep going back to what you have experienced in the past about God's phenomenally determined hand? Because we see this result and he can't be quiet. Now later on in Acts 21, we see that they visit him in Caesarea 20 years later. And how is he described? He is described by Luke as an evangelist. As an evangelist. 
Well, let's look a little bit further, and let's look at this Ethiopian eunuch. And under this idea, I want you to think about an individual who's seeking. Do you know anyone who is seeking peace, truth, relief, comfort, answers to life, purposefulness, intentionality? God. There are seekers all around us. All around us. And maybe for this season, you are that Philip. Maybe that's intentionally you in God's economy. But these individuals are all around us. What do we know about this Ethiopian eunuch? He says this, how can I go unless someone guides me? Or how can I understand, not go, how can I understand unless someone guides me? He's seeking. And he needs help. He needs guidance. He needs the truth. He needs to understand. We know that he's wealthy. How do we know that? Well, he's in a chariot. He's got his own Uber. All right? He's got his own Ethiopian Uber. Um, how do we know this? Uh, well, we know in the text it says it's a chariot, but he's sitting down and reading while the chariot is moving, which means it's his own Uber. He's in the back seat and someone's driving him. We know that he is over the treasury of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, something to understand, Candace is not her name. Uh, and, and if you know somebody named Candace, they're either going to really appreciate that or they're really going to uh, uh, not like this and, and be really highly disappointed. It's up to you whether or not you want to share this information with them. Candace was a title in this particular context, much like Caesar was the title of the Roman emperor, much like Pharaoh was the title of the, uh, uh, of the Egyptian uh, emperor, right? So Candace was a title. It wasn't necessarily her name. But Candace is over all things, and she has appointed this Ethiopian eunuch to be over her treasury. It is a highly um, coveted position. It's a position of authority. It's a position of leadership. He's committed to his faith. How do we know that? Because he's traveled by chariot. Folks, that is not comfortable. You ever been in a car that didn't have a, didn't have a soft suspension and you're going down a, a, a dirt road, right? And it's pounding you and you're on it for a half hour and you're like, oh my goodness, I got to get off this road. And you go home and you just complain and you're like, I need a, I need a, a, a warm spa treatment because my body's been so beaten down. This guy traveled all the way from Ethiopia by chariot or at least to the coastline where he caught a boat. Why did he do that? He did it because somehow, somewhere along the line, he came to understand the God of the Old Testament, and he had somehow converted to that, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was a proselyte. He was a Gentile proselyte, but he was what? He was devoted. He's also wealthy, indicated by the fact that he's got a, a, a high-level uh, Bugatti chariot, right? But he's also reading a scroll. Those would not be available like Wikipedia is to us today, folks. You would have had to have had some money to be carrying a scroll with you. And he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and he doesn't understand it. Interestingly enough, he's focusing on Isaiah 53, prophetic scripture about Jesus Christ. And he wants to know who is this? Who is this prophet? Who is this person? He's drawn, he's compelled. 
Just by happen chance? Absolutely not. God is doing a work here. God's phenomenally determined hand is doing a work in the seeker. It's doing a work in the one that will go and speak. God is at work. And it is a beautiful thing to see it come together. And so here you have an Ethiopian that has traveled to Jerusalem. Now he's heading back home, or he's heading to the coastline, and God has heard his thoughts. God has heard his prayers, and God is going to provide a supernatural answer through one of his own people. Fascinating. What can God do with obedient, willing people? Well, let's look at God, the master planner, in this story as well. We've looked at Philip. We've seen how amazing God's seasons of life have been for Philip, right? Whether it was becoming a deacon, one of the seven in Jerusalem, to spreading out into Samaria and being the voice, not the apostles, but Philip was the voice in Samaria. Philip was doing signs and wonders. Philip was the impetus to people coming to the Lord in Samaria. And then he's, he's riding this high tide, and what does God do? God removes him away from all the fluff, all the pomp and circumstance. And he says, yeah, you did a great thing here, but that was for a season. I'm going to remove you, and I'm going to isolate you, and I'm going to give you one person. Let me just encourage you about small church. God pays attention to small church as much as he does big church. I love being the pastor at a small church. I've been on ministry at, at churches of 8,000. I've been on, on ministry teams and served as interns. I've been a pastor at an at a 800 size church. I love being the pastor of a small church. And everything that happens in God's economy, that happens in all of those other circumstances, happens right here. And I get the privilege of knowing most of you. There's a beauty to that. And God calls Philip from the big, big work that he started. And he said, let me pull you out of this stuff that's making you famous, buddy. And there's just one guy from a foreign land that's out here in the desert. And I'm going to get you out of what was really good, what you really enjoyed, what was making you really popular. I'm going to ask you to go serve over here to just one guy. And then you're just going to wander from town to town. And I'm going to eventually land you in Caesarea. And by the way, you're really not going to be noted for anything for 20 years. Seasons of life. Seasons of life. So looking at God being the master planner, how do we know that he's the master planner? Because he's the one that initiated. Right? He comes to Philip with a message from the angel of the Lord. God has a plan. He's implementing it. He's instituting it. It's one of those things that you saw in the announcements today, right? And many of you are nervous. By the way, that's a big trick to get people to show up to a, a meeting that they don't want to show up to. You just start saying, we're going to vote to give away the church. And everybody's going to like show up, right? Um, there are some very important things that we're looking at, and we, we talked about it at the annual meeting about a strategic plan for our church, and we're excited to see what God is doing. Now, at this coming meeting, we're going to sit and we're going to make some major decisions, and we're going to say, are we together, are we unified in making those decisions and going towards what, God's, what we believe, what leadership believes God is calling us to? So God has a plan. And as we look at his plan for our church and for you, the key thing is to understand he has seasons of life, just like he did for Philip, that he can be trusted in his plan, 
and that his plan will always be executed. One way or the other, just ask Jonah. Just ask Jonah. Let's look at a couple things. The plan was Acts 1.8. Let's just look at how God's master plan is played out. You heard it when Jesus was ascending. He gave this last message to the disciples. It was his plan. It was his strategic plan. We preached this many, many months ago. You will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. So now you have Pentecost that happened in Jerusalem. We don't have anything specific calling out Judea, but we know that the gospel was moving out from Jerusalem. We do have a specific where God chose in his master plan, Philip, to go to Samaria. Remember, Jesus already told you what the plan was. He already told you what the plan was. And now you see God instituted. Had the persecution not come, Philip may have never gone to Samaria. The apostles may have never gone. So maybe we jump on to what God is asking here at Concord Bible before he has to bring some persecution to get us to move. I would prefer that, please. That would be really good. That would be exciting. Because God has a plan here at Concord Bible Church. And he's executing it. And in different ways and in different seasons, he's calling each of you to specific things. He's calling me to specific things. So as we look at this, the plan in Acts 1.8, it doesn't just stop with Samaria. He says what? To the what? To the ends of the earth. Ethiopia at that time was probably pretty close to the end of the earth. And yet God uses Philip where? In Jerusalem, in Samaria, and then he forces him, his determined hand, he picks him up, he says, I need you to go I'm not going to even make it so hard that you have to physically go. I'll work the supernatural stuff and I'll bring the guy to you and I'll bring you to the guy for an intersected meeting and you go meet with him and talk with him. And the man comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that in there? That he has a question and we'll get to this in a second. Philip starts with the question and then he brings in the good news about Jesus Christ. And the man obviously comes to a saving faith and is baptized on the side of the road. Through one man, Jesus accomplished the plan out of Acts 1.8. How amazing. Philip is the presumptive example of Philippians 2.13. Did you forget that verse? How many of you remember? We started with it a while ago. For it is God that wills and works within you according to His what? His pleasure, his plan. Philip is the presumptive example. In Jerusalem, he was the message, he was God's voice, he was God's uh, season of encouragement to the Greek Jews. In Samaria, it was a rejected people of Samaria that he used Philip to speak to them. Ethiopia, leadership strategy. God made it so that he intersected with a leader, someone who would have a voice when they went back to their own home country. God's plan is incredibly detailed. And Caesarea, Acts 21. Let's go there real quickly and then we'll finish up today. Acts 
I don't know why I said there were 40 chapters in Acts. I think I wanted to scare you. That's the other Bible. Acts 21, 8 through 9. Actually, just back it up to 7. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Twenty years have passed by from Acts 8 till now. Nothing is recorded of Philip's work. We don't know that he wasn't used by God. We don't know what was going on, but we know that he was faithful. In verse 9, it says that his daughters were prophetesses. That he had established the church there in Caesarea. And yet it wasn't Philip that God used to talk to Cornelius' household. We'll see that in a few weeks. It was Peter. So for some reason, you see a silence. You see a season of life that's happening right now. This particular to Philip is a key guy that God is using in a key way on a large-scale level. That doesn't continue on for most people. By the way, think of one person that we only had a three-year snapshot of ministry over their total 33 years of life on this earth. Who was it? Jesus. Does that blow your mind? You're like, no, pastor, it doesn't blow my mind. I think about this stuff all the time. Even Jesus had a season. And at the beginning of his ministry, what happens? He's at the Cana wedding and, and his mom says, hey, we're out of drink. <clears throat> right? And what does he say back? Woman, do you not know it's not my time yet? So what was Jesus doing for 30 years? You see, there's seasons particular to God's economy. The key for you and I today is to acknowledge what God did through Philip, to ask ourselves, are we willing to be obedient like Philip was, to go when we're asked to go, or serve in the way that God's asked us to serve, and do we trust Him? And are we willing to sit into the back seat and let somebody else drive when God asks them during that season to lead. That can be the biggest challenge of all. Here, Philip was responsible for so much, and yet he took a back seat. He stayed faithful to what God asked him to do, but under God's purposeful, determined, and phenomenal plan in his economy, he said, Philip, I'm going to ask you to do these very challenging things here but then we're going to shift in your ministry focus. And it's going to go here. God's plan is perfect. So what do we do with this this morning? Well, we have the question of the day. What can God do with obedient, willing people? Philip gives us an evangelism class. Evangelism 101 with Professor Philip. And it should lead us to this. Are we following the Spirit's leading? Are you following the Spirit's leading when it comes to sharing with someone traveling along in an Uber? Yesterday I was sitting in a coffee shop that had air conditioning because <laughs> I'm cheap and I didn't want to run my air. You know, good luck animals. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there and there's a gentleman next to me that had gotten up and kind of moved and walked away with his coffee and left a lid. So I picked up the lid and I threw it away. Well, he came back <laughs> like three minutes later. I'm like, oh no. And so I said, sir, I'm so sorry. I threw away your lid. Let me go get you another lid. 
And I think he had Parkinson's and he had the shakes a lot. And, and uh, so I got on the lid and we just talked a little bit and then I went back to, to studying. And, you know, I had this voice, I had this spirit's leading voice saying, you know, he's just staring out the window talking to nobody. Maybe you should talk to him. I wish I could tell you that I obeyed that. But I didn't. And I regret it. So next time I hear that voice, you can be rest assured, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to follow through. Next. Professor Philip began the discussion with the Ethiopian's question. Some of us look at these opportunities with individuals around us that are seeking and we say, I just, I'm not trained. I'm not Philip. I wasn't there. What do I know? How do I even start the conversation? Have you ever been there? Right? You're at a barbecue for your boss and you're like, okay, let's see. If I position myself just right between the uh, drink table and the, uh, the portico there, then, and I stand up on a chair, I can start to really proclaim Jesus. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. It's not so much how do you get going, it's listen to the individual that's next to you. Listen to their life. Understand what's important in their life. Find out what they're seeking and then address their questions. That's what Philip did. Do you see that? The professor is in the house, and he's showing you how to do it. Number one, listen and obey to when the Spirit tells you to go. Number two, start getting to know the person you're sitting there talking with. Listen and start addressing their questions. But this is where we fail. ABC, right? What is ABC in sales? Always be closing, right? Presentation and understanding of the, of the spreading of the gospel is not sales, folks. It is a heartfelt understanding of, of God's saving truth. And so don't ever treat it as sales. But this is where we stop so much of the time. It's kind of like me talking to... Here we go, another $5. It's kind of like my, my daughter here who is looking forward to getting a car. And we have been looking on Craigslist. I probably have a litany of 50 to 60 Craigslist um, pictures of cars that she has found. And it's been fun to kind of talk through, okay, what do you want to look for? What do you not want to look for? What do we do? And then let's say we find one in, in the end of the month and she's been saving her money and we go and we look and it's perfect. It's what she wants, right? And I'm saying, oh, it's perfect. Is that what you wanted? Oh, that's phenomenal. Let's go. What? Why do we do that when it comes to the spiritual application of laying the truth before people? Folks, explain Jesus. It's what Philip did. He understood what the question was and he saw the inroads and in how to bring this to the point of who Jesus is. And he said, you're looking for Jesus. You're looking for Jesus. Think through 
pray through, if the Spirit has led you to have that conversation, and if, if you start asking the right questions, trust me, there will be an opportunity to bring it around to who Jesus is. And then it's in the Spirit's hands. Amen? Amen. This morning, remember, God's economy. What He asks you to do follows who He made you to be. And as we close this morning, I just encourage you, there's so much that we're heading to as a church. I'm very proud and excited about individuals here that I hear are sharing Christ during a season of life with people around them. It's very, very encouraging as your pastor to hear about this. It's very encouraging to hear about Shelby out there. It's very encouraging to see individuals from our church bringing friends here so that they can hear the gospel. It's very encouraging to know that some of you have sat down with individuals that are hurting and having a hard time and you've shared the life of Jesus Christ and the life that he provides and gives. Let's understand in God's economy, he has a phenomenally determined hand. And during certain seasons of life, he will call you to stand up and act in a certain way and to say certain things. At other seasons of life, he may ask you to do something completely different like he did with Philip. This morning as I close, I'm going to have the worship band come forward and close us with a song today. I encourage you. We have an event on Wednesday nights. Uh, it's a great opportunity. As a matter of fact, perfect segue. Uh, one of our families, um, I, I, I won't rat the person out so you don't shroud them afterwards and high-five them and give them a holy kiss and all that stuff. You should do that anyway, but... Uh, brought a neighbor to our parenting seminar. And as I followed up, found out that the individual absolutely loved it, that it worked. And so I encourage you, the world is going to keep trying to tell you why you can't make it to something, why you can't do this, why you can't do that. I encourage you, purposely find the way. Like Philip, he got up and he went. He got up and he went. Bring some people Wednesday night that you know that are struggling with this whole thing with parenting and they're going to get some encouragement. Okay? Be purposeful about it because maybe that's the avenue that God might use you. Let me go ahead and pray over the offering this morning and if you've brought some gift, uh, thank you. The Lord says that He loves a cheerful giver and that's how we focus on giving here. That giving should be according to the conviction of what the Holy Spirit gives to an individual and that as you do that, uh, your interaction of worship with him is one of giving back as acknowledgement to what God gives to you. So thank you so much, and uh, let me pray. Father, to you we acknowledge exactly what Paul penned in Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord that we should give back, or he should give back to us, or that we should counsel him? How great, how magnificent is your plan. And Father, you choose to use us in humble and challenging ways. And I thank you that as I have the privilege of preaching this passage today of this unique situation to use your servant Philip in a season of life, that Father, I can see individuals out in front of me that you use in the same way. And some that you will use 
days from now in a certain way, and, and it's all according to your plan, for it is you who works and wills within our life according to your purpose. We praise you for that. Continue to do a work through your people and lift us up and encourage us that you choose us to partner with you in the ministry of the gospel. Thank you, Father. To you be all glory. Amen.